0: Hello, and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley, and today we're joined by Charles Luke, Manager of the Elite Rated Murray Income Trust. Thank you for joining us today, Charles. Uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Um, start with performance. You, you've always had a good couple of years. Um, is this because you invest in companies that literally do well in any environment, or have you moved the portfolio around a lot?
1: Um, yeah, well, I think to to answer that question, it, it might be useful if I just start by perhaps taking a step back and and highlighting the um, the investment proposition. Um, And that's to construct a portfolio that's um, dependable, diversified and differentiated. Um, And for the dependable part, I I want to invest in good quality companies exposed to structural and, um, if appropriate, cyclical trends um, with a sustainable competitive advantage. Um, And that enables their earnings and, and dividends to grow over the long term. And then in terms of uh, diversification, um, I don't want to have all of our eggs in one basket or to be overly dependent on any one economic scenario. So in the portfolio, we have thoughtful diversification by by sector and by company uh, and for our income. Um, And then as as we're taking a long term view, we, we haven't moved the portfolio around a lot. But as a function of a focus on those high quality, dependable companies and the diversification I just mentioned, we think the portfolio can do well in most scenarios, and certainly over the long term, which has proven to be the
0: case. Um, you also have quite a sort of high exposure to mid-caps. Could you maybe talk us through what's the attraction of that specific sort of segment of the market?: Yeah, So
1: around 30 to 40 percent of the portfolio is typically invested in mid-caps. The um, mid-cap mid area of the market, I, I find fascinating because there is a really wide range of interesting businesses many with excellent growth potential and good quality characteristics, um, but they're actually often overlooked and under researched companies where, where the market hasn't really appreciated their full potential. Um, and I'm fortunate to work in a large team, uh, and we cover all of the mid-cap companies with our own research, um, meeting management, writing research notes, which is a great resource for uncovering some of those hidden gems uh, and I think a, a sort of source of our, of our competitive advantage as well. Um, so one example in the portfolio is InchCape, which people tend to think of as a of as a car retailer, but nearly all of the profits come from uh, distribution, which is a, a much higher quality business than, than people give it credit for. So it has good margins, a high return on invested capital, um, long term customer relationships and good growth opportunities. Um, and I think the, the market has yet to give the, the company um, the credit for uh, being a much better quality business um, than it currently perceives it to be.
0: I wanted to go into a sort of couple of stock specifics now. Um, firstly, you recently invested in Moonpig.com. Could you maybe tell us a bit about that and the sort of rationale behind that, please?
1: Yeah, sure. So we, we have a small holding in Moonpig, um, which is a relatively recent IPO, but actually a company uh, we've known uh, in the business uh, for a long time. Um, it's interesting because um, more people are ordering physical cards online, which is a trend. Um, That's obviously accelerated due to the pandemic. But I think more more interestingly, a card is is a Trojan horse for the online gifting market, which is largely untapped um, and where the company sees uh, a really huge potential. Um, It's a good quality company, um, given that it's profitable. It actually makes good margins. It has low capex requirements, uh, virtually no inventory risk, as everything is actually made to order. Um, and a really high market share, um over sixty percent. And you know millions of people have have downloaded the app and have entered birthday reminders. Um and on top of that, they also have some very clever technology to to optimize the sales process. So um, and so although it doesn't actually pay a dividend, um it may well do so in a couple of years' time. Um, and I think that demonstrates how we think about um, total return in the portfolio, companies that are capable of of growing their earnings. Um, and their dividends um, over the long term, which uh, should lead to some very attractive total returns.
0: Okay, I want to turn to another stock now, this side is on the overseas, which is also an area you can look at a bit. Um, Elevator company Kone, could you maybe talk us through the benefits of that as well, please?
1: Yeah, sure, so we can invest um, up to 20% of gross assets in in overseas-listed companies. Uh, It's useful for a couple of reasons. Firstly, to diversify risk in concentrated sectors. Um, and secondly, perhaps more importantly, to, to provide access to, to some good quality companies in, and industries that you can't find in the UK. Um, so present, there are around eight different holdings um, representing about 12% of the portfolio invested in overseas listed companies. Um, so we own companies such as um, Maui, which is a sustainable salmon fishing company. Um, Acton Technology, which is a Taiwanese technology company, uh, VAT Group, Swiss vacuum valve manufacturer, uh, Microsoft, Nestle, um, and and as you mentioned, Kone, uh, which we think is a a really great quality business, a strong balance sheet. Um, It's exposed to some uh, really exciting long-term structural growth opportunities, particularly, uh, particularly in China. Um, and and, um, we've been investing in in overseas-listed companies uh, for just over 10 years now. Uh, It's been helpful for performance, uh, and Kone is one of our uh, uh, longest-hold overseas-listed company holdings. Okay.
0: Um, Your style, obviously, is to invest in more sort of quality growth companies. Um, The opposite strategy value, as well-documented, has come to the fore more recently. Um, Could you maybe tell us are you worried about that, whether it might continue? Does it hamper performance, or does it have no sort sort of... fall on your radar at all? Yes, so uh,
1: I think that there will always be periods when, when value outperforms um, quality companies. And we saw that particularly in November when the market, um, having thought that perhaps many poorer quality companies might go bra- bankrupt, um, they, they then performed very strongly indeed when, when the vaccine efficacy sort of announcements came along. Um, but I think it's important to remember that if you benefited from... Uh, some of those sorts of companies doing well um, more recently. You also would al- almost certainly have owned them um, when they performed poorly. Um, and actually, if you, if you look over the long run, and um, a few days ago, I was looking at the top performing companies in the UK market over the last 30 years. And, and what you notice is that those particular companies have been able to grow their earnings very substantially over a long time period. Um, And that's generally because they've they've had a sustainable competitive advantage and good management teams. Um, And those good quality companies are exactly the kinds of companies that that I'm looking to invest in uh, for the long term.
0: Uh, The trust merged obviously with the uh, perpetual income and growth last year. Uh, Have you invested the extra assets and will you be able to reduce fees for investors as sort of an offshoot of economies of scale from that?
1: Yeah. So uh, back in November, before the combination actually occurred, the, the perpetual income and growth portfolio um, was aligned with more income, so it was effectively a, a mirror portfolio, which made it a, a painless process um, in terms of the combination. So we didn't inherit any liquid holdings or, or anything that we weren't keen on. Um, and, and as you say, a number of important benefits to the merger, the, the most significant of which is the ability to um, spread costs over a broader base and, and take advantage of the lower marginal management fee uh, of Murray Income of 25 basis points for net assets over £450 million. Um, so that means that the trust now has one of the lowest fees in the sector. Um, and we'd like to grow the trust, which will result in lower, even lower fees on a per share basis, um, all other things being
0: equal. And just lastly, while the trust isn't a sustainable trust, you do look at ESG considerations. Could you maybe tell us how that sort of pans out when you, when you approach that in the portfolio? Uh, yeah,
1: so um, ESG considerations are absolutely at the core of what we do. Um, we want to ensure that the companies we invest in manage the risks and opportunities they face to the best of their ability uh, and to act in the best long-term interests of, of shareholders and wider society. We have a three-pronged approach to that. Um, Firstly, when writing our research notes, ESG is at the heart of our thinking. Um, Secondly, we have a team ESG specialist who helps with ongoing engagement with companies, which is a key part of our approach. Um, And then thirdly, we also have a large central ESG team with over 20 very experienced specialists who think about remuneration and policy statements uh, and, and write thought pieces Um, In the portfolio, we think very, very carefully about ESG considerations. um, And unlike many other income funds, uh, we don't own any tobacco companies. And the overall portfolio is double A rated by MSCI. That's great, Charles. Thank you
0: very much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to learn more about the Murray Income Trust, please visit funcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember. We've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at your time of listening.